Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. We'll continue with the discussion of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We left off our last discussion on the 93rd Anucheta. And at the end of the 93rd Anucheta, Srila Jiva Goswami introduces some verses spoken by Maharaj Pariksit at the beginning of the 7th Canto. And his verses are questions placed before Sukadev in regards to what he's seeing as a dilemma for himself. He can't understand. You're discussing all these leelas of the Lord, and in these leelas, the Lord is taking sides. He's siding up with Indra and the, and the demigods, and he's He's actually battling with the Asuras either personally or he's empowering the demigods to defeat the Asuras. So his first question is as follows. He says, Bhagavan himself is equal to everyone, beloved to all, and the well-wishing friend of every living being. So three words are used in the verse. Sama, uh, equal to all. Uh, Suhurit, a friend to all, and Priya, he's beloved by all, or all that know him love him. Uh, and he, he he's, he's favorably disposed in love to everyone, himself, he, uh, irrespective of their position. So that's his equanimity. O Brahmana, so why did he kill the sons of Diti on behalf of Indra, as if he were biased in Indra's favor? So we'll continue with the 94th Anacheda uh, this evening. We basically discussed this pretty much in detail. Uh, in the 94th Anacheda, uh, Jiva continues to quote uh, this line of questioning from Maharaj Pariksit to uh, Sukadev Goswami. So the 94th Anacheda reads as follows. Jiva begins the Anacheda by saying, Moreover, the general rule is that one favors the person through whom one's own purpose is accomplished and attacks with animosity those whom one fears. But such is not the case with Bhagavan. So Parikshit says, and then he goes to the very next verse, the second verse of the seventh canto. He who directly embodies the supreme welfare certainly has no purpose to fulfill from the host of suras, nor does he, who is devoid of the material gunas, feel any animosity toward the asuras, nor is he in any way fearful of them. Supreme welfare means the supreme bliss, Pramananda. So a little commentary here. King Parichit's questions, Srimad Bhagavatam 1 through 3, uh, which are Anucheta's beginning at the end of 93 and going through 95, to Sage Sukha were made after he heard that Bhagavan Vishnu had favored Indra and killed the sins of Diti. That was in the sixth canto. Sukadeva Goswami made this, told him what Bhagavan had done. He knew that Bhagavan Vishnu is even-minded 
and equally disposed to all, so how could he behave in a biased manner? In this verse, he states the reason for his conviction. Bhagavan is transcendental to the gunas. Therefore, nothing material can please or displease him. That's an interesting statement. Nothing from the material gunas can please or displease him. So we, we look at that and we, we see there's a lot, of, a lot of meaning in a simple statement like that. But nothing from the gunas can please or displease him. So the only thing that can please him has to be related to bhakti. There has to be some some bhakti involved, or he's he's more or less indifferent. If there's not an exchange of of loving emotion in some shape or form, then he's more or less indifferent. Why wouldn't he be? He already owns everything. He's already the most of anything that you could imagine. He, he he excels at everything. The material universe is but a simple spark of his splendor. So what can we do from our side, from the side of being involved in the gunas of material nature, that would in any way even influence him? So this whole section here is, you know, this whole bringing out of the of the nature of the ingress of bhakti and that ingress of bhakti being the only thing that facilitates the lord's involvement in the material manifestation at all is quite profound I mean, we, we recognize that the Lord has various manifestations. He has the Purusha avatars that manifest the material universe and maintain it, support it, pervade it. And he has guna avatars. Either he himself is a guna avatar as Vishnu, maintaining the mode of uh, goodness, or he empowers a jiva, if there's one around that's got the qualification, makes him into a Brahma and gives him the duty of creating the universe, gives him some hint of how it's done, a blueprint he can follow. You can do like this and manifest a universe. Uh, enlightens him as to the nature of uh, of his desire in that regard at the beginning of the uh, manifestation of the universe. Or he comes as himself and touches the gunas of material nature as the Lord. So we call that Shiva. He's still the Lord, but he touches material nature. And in touching material nature, the analogy is given that it's, it's like milk. And you, you touch a milk with a culture and you get yogurt. It's milk 
but it's not really milk. It changes a little bit. So Shiva is within the world, still not of the world, but more in the world than Krishna is himself when he comes directly. So Shiva is in a very unique position. And understanding deeply the nature of Lord Shiva in itself is is quite amazing just to enter into the mysteries of the manifestation, the way Lord Shiva is is worshipped within the gunas and the different and his different manifestations within the gunas. And if you really get down to what Shiva's about, he's just about giving an ideal example of bhakti. So he's 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 well he's the topmost devotee from a material from from the material perspective from one within a material within the material universe no one excels him in his bhakti but he doesn't teach bhakti directly except to his most intimate of associates but he exemplifies bhakti in a very unique manner. But he also exemplifies his involvement within the material universe and executes his duty within the universe in a, in a, and amplifies it as the representative of the mode of ignorance, bones around his neck and <laughs> ashes on his body. So understanding Shiva very easily satisfied if you want some material benediction and pretty easily upset also as we see in the whole Leela of uh, uh, Sati and Daksha. I mean, Shiva wasn't directly involved, but he was involved enough with a simple hair from his head. So much havoc was rain down on the sacrificial arena one hair and and there we have a demon and then the demon goes and all of Shiva's followers go with him and into the sacrificial arena he they go and they didn't spare anyone uh, some were able to run away but those that had directly offended Shiva in a direct manner they were dealt with quite harshly so we're still dealing with this this dilemma of just as it's hard to understand Shiva, what to speak of how difficult it is. And he, and he we know is a manifestation of the Supreme Lord who does come in the material world. And well, we say he's touched by the guna. He's involved with the gunas of material nature. And then you have Krishna coming in and performing leelas. And we say he's not touched by the gunas. So there's some real deep theology here to understand the nature of the Lord's various manifestations and the nature of his various leelas within the material manifestation. Maharaj Parikshit knew that Vishnu was even-minded and equally disposed to all. So 
He's posing these questions to his spiritual master. How is this? The Anuchetas continue. Maharaj Pariksit's questions continue. The third sloka from the Bhagavatam, seventh canto. A greatly fortunate one. A very grave doubt has arisen in my mind regarding the qualities of Bhagavan Narayan, which you alone are capable of resolving. A very grave doubt. What a way to, to, to word it. A very, I mean, this is serious stuff. How, how do I understand God? We know the nature of the Lord. We've learned of the nature of the Lord from Scripture, but His actions seem to contradict the words of the Scripture. Is He really the friend of everyone? He doesn't hold any favors, favorites. Is he equally dear to everyone? Is he equally disposed to everyone in all circumstance? This is a doubt I have. The word guna here refers to qualities such as blessings and chastisement. The pronoun tat, even though in, in neuter form, here refers to doubt, samsaya, which is masculine. I'm sure for a Sanskrit scholar that would have some significance. Uh, Jiva's comment. I'm sorry that I can't explain it in a way that because uh, I have no familiarity with with the intricacies of the Sanskrit language. So we go on to the next Anucheda. To this the sage Sukadev replied. O Emperor, you have raised an excellent question. The exploits of Bhagavan Hari are wonderful. They also include the glories of the great devotees, Bhagavata, which increase one's devotion to Bhagavan. Jiva Goswami writes in relationship to this verse, O Emperor, the question you have raised is excellent, meaning that it has been very carefully considered Bhagavan's exploits, however, are wonderful, meaning that they have no antecedent. Antecedent means they have no, no cause. There's no material cause for Bhagavan's Leela. Doesn't mean there's no cause, it means there's no material cause. Apurva. This is due to the fact that they are beyond deliberation. Because even though impartial, he appears to be partial. In the midst of the pastimes of Bhagavan Hari, one can find the glories of the devotees, namely the glorification of devotees such as Sri Prahlad, which increase one's devotion to Bhagavan. From this, it is to be indicated that Sukadev's answer to Pariksit will culminate in the conclusion that Bhagavan does everything for the sake of his devotees alone and not for any other purpose. Sridhar Swami also comments from the Bhavartha Dipika. Bhavartha Dipika is Sridhar Swami's commentary on the Srimad Bhagavatam. I bow down to the extraordinary Bhagavan Nishringa of supremely blissful form who favors his devotees by destroying those who oppose them. So Sukadev says here, 
They also include, meaning the Leela of Bhagavan, also includes the glories of the great devotees, which increase one's devotion to Bhagavan. The glories of one's of Krishna's devotees increase devotion to Bhagavan. Why is that? Why is the devotees, why does that increase devotion? Because we can relate to the devotees. Relating to God, kind of difficult is the point being brought out here. The devotees, they're kind of like us. They got bodies, they go through trials and tribulations. They're, we're one of them, they're one of us. So we can relate. When they are involved in the Leela, we can, we can relate. We have, a, we have more of a sense of something that we can grasp in, in their involvement in the Leela. God's involvement in the Leela, he's not under the influence of the modes of material nature. He's equal to everyone. He has no partialities. I mean, the qualities are, un, we could go on and on, and we never even begin to reach the beginning of all of his qualities. So, Sukadev's bringing out this point. But within his Leela, which may be for us hard to fully comprehend because he's just so much not like we are, that he also engages in the Leela with devotees. And when we hear about devotees like Prahlad, and Dhruva Maharaj, and Narda, and just think think about what Sukadev's saying here, and think about your own apprehension of the various Leela. When you think about various Leelas of Krishna, it is through the devotees that you can see the Lord. It's through how he deals with them that we can gain a deeper appreciation for him. How much comes to us in in a deeper understanding when Dhruva says, I was looking, I was looking, and what I was looking for, I had no idea that it really had no value. And when when Krishna came and showed himself to me, I realized that all that I was aspiring to having a kingdom greater than my father's, greater than my grandfather's, greater than the creator of the universe. It's all just worthless glass compared to the gemstone of Krishna's toenails. That in and of itself is just so... So how do we, how do we, gain, entr- we gain entrance into that deep understanding of Krishna and that deep appreciation through the way Krishna's devotees appreciate him. That's a gateway for us of deep entrance into understanding Krishna. And you think about the different leelas and and all the prayers and everything that's brought out in the Bhagavatam. It's all brought out through the discourse of the devotees. Krishna doesn't really blow his own horn, maybe a few verses in the Gita. Oh, I'm this, and I'm that, and they say I'm this. But basically, he, you notice what we notice in the Bhagavatam, he says, really? 
You think that like this? Well, if you're my devotee and you think I'm like that, I've got to be like that. I've got to meet your expectations of me, is sometimes the way Krishna presents himself. It's, it's such a charming exchange that comes through the Bhagavatam of Krishna and his devotees. Okay, I will. Is that what you, you know? So, I mean, once in a while he shows his splendor, but basically he's, he's comes into humanity and he presents himself uh, in a way. I mean, he has to cover himself over. We read on, we're going to come into some very interesting points that come out in this regard. In the commentary, he writes like this. Hearing about elevated devotees of Bhagavan is even more nourishing to bhakti than hearing about Bhagavan himself. The reason for this is that we can relate to the lives of the devotees more easily than that of Bhagavan. The devotees have underwent birth and normal tribulations of human life. They did not simply appear as did Bhagavan endowed with all majesty. They faced problems and had to behave and struggle like sadikas. Bhagavan, on the other hand, is omnipotent, accomplishing everything by his mere will. Whatever hardship he may appear to undergo in his earthly manifestation is all his divine play, Leela. For this reason, hearing about devotees provides greater inspiration in a practical sense. It also teaches modern practitioners how to face various life challenges in a way that is commensurate with devotion. If you think about it, we, we take shelter of the, of the sadhus. We take shelter of, look at the way they conducted their bhajan. Wow, if I could only chant the way Haridas Thakur chanted 24 hours a day or unlimited rounds. What immersion. If I could only enter into a trance and be so much in the trance of how I'm preparing food, although I have no ingredients, I go into a trance and prepare food for my deity and I become so, so much involved in that service that I test the sweet rice and my finger physically burns and my trance is broken. How deep that meditation must be to be that dedicated to the deity that I have nothing, so I'm going to have to do this all in my mind. But I know Krishna will accept what's in my mind as much as he would accept what I could make in my kitchen. But I don't have a kitchen. And I don't have a pantry and I don't have any cows. So here, let me, let me do this in my way, the only way I can. We take inspiration from these, this kind of service. Although we recognize it may not be anything that we can ever, a standard we can never come up to, we also recognize that it's the standard that we must attain in due course of time. We're not meant to just sit idly by at the stage of Anista Bhajana Kriya for lifetimes. 
we at a certain point the holy names is going to have an effect on us it's not going to be something that we're going to accomplish by our blunt force entry into into a stage of of deep chanting or deep meditation or samadhi it's not going to happen like that but the spiritual master has given us assurances you just follow my instructions you just follow and you will advance step by step through the stages of devotional practice the steps may be long we may go up and down we may enter into some valleys before we can again drive towards the crest of the hill but Anista, Nista, Ruchi, Asakti, Bhava, Prem. This is something that we need to aspire to, and it's something that it is our possibility. It's not that we only read about the sadhus in the scriptures. We see the sadhus around us, and we ourselves, in due course of time, will become a sadhu. We will become fully dedicated if we can stay in good association. That's the key, is to stay in good association and continue to hear from the most qualified of devotees. If we can do that, then advancement can be made. And even if we hear from lesser grade devotees, it's, it's still beneficial. Vishwanath points out in a commentary in the first canto, hearing from from not the para devotees, the topmost devotees, you're still engaged in bhajana kriya. Now, if you're so fortunate as to hear from the topmost devotees, the para devotees, that kind of sangha, then those devotees, just by hearing from them, just listen to this, just by hearing from them, you are pulled up through the stages of Anista, Nista, Ruchi, Asakti to the, to the level of, of Bhava and of course praying. Just by such hearing, that's how significant that kind of association is. 97th Anucheda, we continue to hear from Sukadev Goswami, his Bhagavatam Response to Maharaj Parikshit's serious question. Bhagavan's exploits are supremely pious and so are sung by great sages like Narada. First, bowing to the sage Krishna, Dwipayana, I shall narrate a tale of Lord Hari. Jiva Goswami writes in relationship to this verse. The exploits of Bhagavan are sung in such a way that they yield supreme auspiciousness. And so, Sri Sukha says, I shall narrate such a story. Here, the relative and correlative pronouns in such a way and that must be a su- supplied to make sense of the sentence. Here again, it is being shown that since these stories are sung by the great sages, their sole purpose is to give pleasure to the devotees. We go on to the 98th Anucheda. Bhagavan behaves as if conditioned. Did Sukadev just bypass the question? 
He moved on. How's he? What's what? 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 what Maharaj Prashant. Wait, this is a dilemma for me. And Sukadev's. Let me narrate a pastime. Maybe we've experienced this sometimes. <laughs> Believe me, your your question will be be answered. But let's see how Jiva Goswami deals with this, and how Sukadev Goswami deals with it. Therefore, after in keeping with the inferred meanings discussed in the commentaries of the two previous verses, Sri Sukha begins answering the king's question. Although devoid of the material gunas, unborn, unmanifest, and beyond prakriti, Bhagavan enters into the gunas of his own maya and assumes the roles of opposer, oppressor and oppressed. Jiva Goswami says in, in regards to this verse, because Bhagavad is beyond Prakriti, he is near Guna, devoid of material Gunas. Therefore, he is unborn, Aja, meaning that he is eternally self-existent, Nichasiddha. Consequently, he is also unmanifest of Yakta, meaning that since he is devoid of a material body, senses, and so on, he cannot be revealed by anything or anyone else. This is to say that his body, etc., are self-luminous, swayam prakash. The idea is that he is thus free from attachment and hatred, which arise out of the material gunas. He comes of his own accord. He, he, he can't... There's nothing that we could do in the gunas to call the Lord to enact his pastimes, his leela. This is an important point. So every time we come across this appeal to the Supreme to intervene on, the, on, on behalf of the devotee or, be on the, or made by a devotee, for the Lord to appear on behalf of humanity, that kind of an appeal coming from the from within the gunas that has no no influence. It's not going to draw the Lord. So when Bhumi goes to Brahma and says, "I'm overrun by demoniac kings who simply want to," you know blow up each other, <laughs> then, and then Brahma says, well, what can I do? I'm just the creator of the universe. This is a bigger problem than I can. Let's go and ask for some help. And he goes to the, you know, the ocean surrounding the Lord's transcendental planet within the material universe, and he appeals to the Lord in meditation. Please, Mother Earth is really in distress. We need you to intervene here. So what's drawing the Lord in that instance? We need to think. Or when Adwaitacharya is praying to the Lord, he's, he's worshipping his deity and he's offering Tulsi and, 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 and puja to the deity and making these heartfelt appeals 
Kali Yuga is upon us. And I just don't have the spiritual strength to effectuate anything that can relieve suffering humanity. I need you. I, I Please come. You, I can't. Can you appear? Please. And again and again in the Bhagavatam, we see this where the devotees or the universal administrators, whichever the case may be, generally the, well, as Vishwanath writes, the half-devotees, the demigods, he calls them half-devotees, meaning that they do have material responsibility. They can't just up and leave their post, generally speaking. Although we notice in some leelas, they do get kicked out of their post for some period of time. Uh, or they run away <laughs> because they've created some havoc for themselves and they hide amongst the the uh, the lotuses in, in, a la- in the lake. Indra did that once. I don't know who he was. Indra, Indra's a little uh, promiscuous at times, so he gets in trouble. I don't know if that's a specific Indra or all Indras have that proclivity because they're the king of heaven and they're just surrounded by so much sensual enjoyment that it just overwhelms them from time to time and they, you know, they go over the line and then they have to run, run and hide or they get cursed. All of a sudden they're, they're covered, covered with what they're seeking and Anyway, those are interesting leelas. <laughs> but we, I don't know how we went there. <laughs> We're speaking about this half, half devotee and the fact that the demigods are, can be looked at because they do have material responsibilities. But they are Krishna's devotees for the most part. Although I think I relayed this that in one commentary Vishwanath said that there is there there is an instance there can be an interest entrance instance where even Brahma is not a devotee so at the end of the of the of a universal manifestation he and all, it says in the scripture that he and all of his associates from the upper planetary systems attain liberation and go to Vaikuntha well that doesn't always happen there's there can all, there's always, it seems like there's always an exception to the rule. So it's not really a rule. It's like what generally happens is Brahma is a devotee and, you know, he's initiated at the beginning of the universe and he's, his devotion increases throughout his life. And then he and all of his associates, all those great yogis and jnanis who rise above the modes of material nature, Within the universe, they rise so much above, they're given their own planetary systems. So these, above the 14 planetary systems, which are involved under the influence of the gunas, primarily, and karma, certain jivas rise above that. And they're given residence on these three high, higher planetary systems. Mahaloka, Tapaloka, Jnanaloka. 
And then you have Satyaloka. So we have these upper planetary systems. And you also have Dhruvaloka up there, which is transcendental. So it can't be revealed by anything or anyone else. We have to understand when we when we see in the Bhagavatam, when we hear these leelas or Sri Chaitanya or, or Krishna, these appeals to God, please come. And he appears to come and in in response to those appeals, those appeals, his response is not in relationship to the material predicament that he's being presented with. He's indifferent to that. He's not taking sides here. What he responds to is the appeal, the love expressed by his devotee. Oh, well, you'd like to see me? You know, you're in distress and I'd like to see you, so I'll show up. And it's an exchange. It's a loving exchange. That's what Jeeva's bringing out here. It's so much deeper than don't look at this superficially. We need to look deeper, and that's what Jeeva's Sundarbas give, give us the opportunity to do. So when Parikshit Maharaj poses this kind of question and himself puts himself as being I'm bewildered by this. What to speak of ourselves? And Jeeva's like, okay, let's go through this. Let's see. What's it mean? Let's just read on. Although he is, as above described, Bhagavan enters into, or in other words, takes support of the quality, guna, corresponding to his own maya, which here refers to his compassion toward his devotees. Jiva writes. So, the quality that he takes support of specifically refers to the pure and powerful state of unalloyed being, Visuddha Sattva, which is of the nature of all entrancing play. Such is the case because Bhagavan is always manifest with his six divine opulences. So, we'll stop there. Are there any questions? I have a quick question. You said something about hearing about the lives of the devotees is more nourishing to bhakti than hearing about the, the activities of the Lord. Is that, did I hear that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that, that principally like stories from the Bhagavatam or something like that, sort of these paradigmatic stories like um, Dhruva Maharaj or Prahlad or just, you know, like today we did, we kind of had pastimes of the devotee. Mm-hmm. So would that be in the same category like that? That's more somehow it it it, it nurture it nourishes our, our creeper more. Yeah. Than it enlivens us because here's the ideal example in our life. The spiritual master is the ideal example in our life, the quintessential devotee that mm-hmm. and by praising his, his devotional qualities and uh, rec- recounting the way he deals as a, as a devotee, as a sadhu at a community of sadhus, his disciples, and how he interacts with them and how they're enthused by that interaction. Yeah, that's all nourishing our bhakti. But if he had no relationship with Krishna, we wouldn't care for him. Our caring for the guru is because the the guru has that relationship. And he cares for Krishna and he cares for us both. So 
He's the transparent media between the two. And even when Krishna comes and manifests his Leela, he takes a human-like form just to exchange with the devotees. Now, of course, some would argue, the Bhaktas would argue, and we would agree with them, that his taking of that human-like form is the epitome of his compassionate nature for us, in that how else could we relate to him? When Arjuna saw the universal form, he made the request, please show it. I want some proof. You say you're God. I think you're God, but others may not. So let's let's prove you God. And he began to prove himself God. And Arjuna's like, that's okay, we've seen enough. Because all of a sudden, all the universe is smashing into his teeth. Every, everything's being destroyed because we're in that one quarter manifestation of the Lord. That one quarter is place of, of, of death. It's not the place of eternity, knowledge, and bliss. It's the place of destruction and devastation. It ultimately ends in that. So when we see a universal form, where's the universal form end? It always ends in it always ends in the dissolution. And then it's manifest again. Does that help? Yeah. Yes. I had a question about uh, you were saying how the you know Krishna is not um, affected by the gunas. He's anything we do doesn't have any effect on him. If we in the you know in the gunas, um, so. Um, Two things with that. Um, one thing I just I was just wondering about Christianity in the sense that, you know, the, the Ten uh, Commandments say something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems like it's all in the Gunas, and so that doesn't connect with with God in a sense. No, but it connects with us. Okay. So it puts us in a better position. If we can arise to the, to the mode of goodness, then there's a possibility of contemplation, contemplating such important questions as, who am I? How did I get here? Why is this here? In the modes of passion and ignorance, even in a human form, we're still like an animal. The sages look at us as we're just like animals. So you've got to come up to a place where the gunas aren't completely dragging you down. And that means you follow some 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 cultural uh, standards. And those standards are, are good for, for bringing us. As I've said, the regulative principles are not the, are details. They're not the principles of bhakti. They're the details. But those details are the details whereby we, we can develop enough character to stay in the association of devotees. Otherwise, we just simply become a disturbance in the, in the association of devotees. And then, they, then they're not so, so keen to keep us around. At least if we can act decent, they'll put up with a lot, the sadhus. They, they're very tolerant. They're the most tolerant. They want everybody to attain Krishna. But at a certain point... They'll tolerate you as much as as much as necessary, 
But when you become intolerable to other devotees, then you put them in a rough, in a, in a, in a compromised position. Then they're like, what can I do now? Here, this devotee's doing this to that devotee, and, you know, I have to apparently take favorites. They're not, they also are impartial the way Krishna is impartial. They are, but sometimes, you know, it appears, they appear to be partial. But they're, they're Krishna's representatives. So, you know, acting, acting, uh, what we would call with a, with a moral foundation is, is really has nothing to do with bhakti. But it has a lot to do with bhakti when you realize this, the, the most important thing to your bhakti is sadhu sangha. And the most important thing to sadhu sangha is to not offend devotees. And the most one of the, the significant thing in not offending devotees is not becoming overwhelmed by the modes of material nature and being able to rise above your animal instincts of anger, lust, greed, madness, illusion, envy. All these things are just, you know, we we let the worst come out and then the devotees are like, whoa, hardball, and they walk past you. They don't even want to, you know, it's like, yeah, okay. So then they're tolerating us to the point that, that we think they're neglecting us. And the mind goes crazy. <laughs> anyway, does that help? Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for your association. Thank you.